What up, HyperChange? Welcome to another episode. Today, we're doing a hyper chat with Tasha Keeney, who is an autonomous vehicle analyst at ARC. I'm really excited for this talk. We're going to talk about Tesla, you know, self-driving cars, all that stuff. Uh, Tasha, thanks for coming on the podcast. Thanks for having me. Uh, so yeah, before we could get jump into you know Tesla and all that exciting stuff, maybe we could get a little bit about you know who you are, what's your background, and uh, what Arc uh, Investments is. Sure, um, I'm I'm an analyst. I, I work for Arc Invest. I cover autonomous cars and 3D printing. Um, so at Arc, we focus entirely on disruptive innovation. Um, the strategy that I sit on is called industrial innovation. Um, it also includes uh, battery, everything battery related. Um, robotics, uh, but we, we also look at genomics, uh, next generation internet, and, and fintech, um, sort of all things innovation. And we, we produce a lot of research to, to support our investments and help pick, pick our, our stocks, basically. Yeah, I'm a huge fan of ARC, and especially what you guys are doing, putting research out to the public, which I think is a great marketing move for your firm, but also just advancing the public discussion with amazing research. So thank you for that. And, and one thing I've noticed about ARC that's sort of unique is that you don't a tra unlike traditional equity sort of analysts, you don't cover one sector, you spread across multiple sectors, which is really helpful for these disruptive companies like Tesla. So maybe you could talk a little bit about how you know your role goes across multiple different sectors. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that's by design. Our, our founder, Kathy, um, wanted all the analysts to be cross-sector. And, and when you, you think of a company a company like Tesla, um, that's really sort of, it's it's not a traditional auto company. It's more of a technology company. Um, you know, it's, it's really a software play. Um, but now they're also creating their own autonomous chip. I mean, how do you, how do you cover it from all those different angles? Um, so, so for us to be set up this way and to be sort of collaborative and, and put our research out there, um, it, it helps us get to all those angles. So, uh, you know, a company like Tesla will actually have a few analysts come together. Um, so James Wang um, is our sort of semi-specialist. Semi he worked at NVIDIA for a while. Um, I cover the autonomous piece. And then um, Sam Corus, my partner analyst, uh, he's our battery expert. Um, and uh, so the companies I cover, you know, might be classified as uh, technology companies, they could be auto companies, like sometimes even like computer peripheral companies that can kind of be all over, but uh, just focused on innovation. Gotcha. Really cool. And so uh, personally, I'm curious, what gets you excited or interested about autonomous vehicles? And, you know, why have you chosen that as sort of your area of research? Yeah. So what we think is so exciting about autonomous cars is, you know, if you look back at transportation over the last hundred years, um, not a lot's changed. Um, but now we're undergoing these two really pro profound changes, and that's the transition to electric and autonomous. Um, and improvements in deep learning over the past uh, five and ten years have really taken these great leaps um, that now allow us to, to get to this, this dream of having a fully autonomous car. And we think it's going to be so disruptive, um, basically because utilization will be so high on these, because uh, we think they'll come in the form of taxis, um, that they'll be really attractive to consumers, uh, not to mention safer. Yeah. And so the promise of autonomous vehicles, I guess, is we have, you know, a much cheaper transportation, much safer transportation and much more convenient transportation. And there's a really good slide that I saw that ARC put out, which is the cost of transportation in the past century hasn't changed from an average of 70 cents a mile. But the autonomous taxi opportunity could potentially drop that to 26 uh, cents a mile or Elon's even saying 18 cents a mile. So I'm wondering, you know, how do you think about this disruption at a high level and what industries it could sort of impact? 
Yeah. Um, so actually, you know, after we, we made that chart, we, we, we dropped that estimate. So now we think it could only be 22 cents. And that's actually okay. because of Autonomous Day. Um, you know, Musk said that uh, Tesla could produce a car that would last for a million miles. Um, so we actually extended the lifetime of the vehicle in our model, and that allowed us to drop the price at which you could charge a consumer uh profitably as a business for autonomous taxi travel. Um, so yeah, we, we think those economics are what's going to drive uh, wide-scale adoption. And um, it's going to be really dramatic, especially for countries like China, where not as many people have access to really cheap point-to-point travel like they do in the U.S. Um, we think traffic could go up dramatically because of it. We think insurance premiums could cut um, in half from where they will be in the next five years because autonomous cars will be safer and these would be fleet models. So those premiums will be negotiated by companies, not people. Um, so a lot of really dramatic changes, not just in transportation, but sort of all the industries affecting it. Yeah, and you said one tidbit to get into the exciting stuff that I, is, I've been thinking about a lot, which is the one million miles, which is something that Elon said at Autonomy Day. Um, and then they recently completed the uh, acquisition of Maxwell Technologies, who, in theory, their dry battery electrode technology could significantly extend the life of a battery. So I wonder, do you, and this is one of my much later questions, but I kind of want to get into it now, you know, have you looked into the Maxwell acquisition and what are the implications in terms of the cost structure of the robo-taxi? Because it seems like if you can make the EV go twice as far, you know, with a more efficient battery that's cheaper, this will, this is like one of the levers Tesla's pulling to really drop that price of the autonomous taxi. Yeah, um, Sam's primarily done most of the work on, on Maxwell because he's um, he's so focused on batteries. But I'd, I'd say broadly, you know, the, what we're assuming for our autonomous taxi model is that it, it'll be the chemistry that we see Tesla using today. Um, but you're absolutely right that there are these other, other levers that if they happen in the next five or ten years that could, again, drop that cost down um, even further. Um, so I, I think... Uh, you know, it's a relatively conservative assumption. Um, battery technology is certainly improving, um, and, and that'll only help bring costs down. Got it. And so we have this huge opportunity for self-driving cars, and there's another arc slide that I want to bring up, which says that net present value today is $2 trillion, uh, or around that, and then $4 trillion in 2023, $7 trillion in 2028 which is sort of like the net present value of this robo-taxi opportunity. So I'm wondering, you know, what are the numbers, but like these are huge, huge numbers. So what kind of assumptions are going into that model, maybe at a high level, like how, what percentage of miles driven and that sort of thing? Yeah, so this is the, the what we think the market should be valued at. So this is um, our assumption for market cap. Um, so, so what we've done is uh, using our, our price per mile estimates, um, we then looked at uh, travel across the world. So we, we break it out by uh, global vehicle miles traveled. Um, in, in each region. And then uh, we fit an adoption curve to those regions. So, you know, it seems like autonomous taxis will happen probably sooner in the U.S. than anywhere else. Uh, mm. But China's also gunning for them. Europe seems a little bit further behind. So we take all those assumptions and, and we basically um, feed them into our model in terms of, okay, what, what's the start year going to be for this region and how fast will the adoption be? Um, Okay, so, so using that price per mile, feeding that into our adoption curve, um, the S-curve that we fit to global vehicle miles traveled. Uh, we then assume these will be uh, really, um, these 
this business will have great margins, basically software-like margins. Wow. And then 70% of that goes to cash flow. And then the way that we get the market cap is basically by discounting that uh, to present. Um, so so in the next five years, uh, while uh, you know we do think that autonomous travel could, could um, surprise in the amount of urban miles um, that it takes over, say, in the next five or 10 years, like in, in five years, if our adoption estimates are, are off or, or sort of that 50% penetration rate happens um, a little bit later, we still think investors will recognize the opportunity and, and sort of pay for that forward um, that forward value. So, so that's that's why we, we use that discounting. Gotcha. And I, I personally believe at least one of the reasons the market isn't pricing this in is because A, it's, we, like it hasn't happened. This technology doesn't exist. And Elon, who is notoriously missing timelines, is putting out these aggressive timelines. And it just seems like no one believes it. And so that's kind of one of my, I guess, like to play devil's advocate, skepticism of the ARC model is how do you say this thing is worth $2 trillion when the technology doesn't even exist yet? You know, how do you is there some sort of caveat that's like, it might not be worth $2 trillion at all, we could be totally wrong? Or what gives you so much confidence to say this is really a huge opportunity, you know, in the next five years when a lot of other experts are saying it could take 10 or 15 years before true full, you know, L5 autonomy hits? Yeah, you know, that that's a great point. So we, we don't know, like, the exact timeline of when this is going to happen and when, when Tesla's going to solve it or when anyone will, will solve for full autonomy. Um, what we do know is... Um, well, if we look at uh, sort of like the progression of, of deep learning, um, if you look at the recent uh, DeepMind, the Google team, um, their win against two professional StarCraft players. If you were to look at what's happened in the past, you wouldn't expect them to be able to pull something like that off um, for a number of years. Uh, and so, why do you say that, that you wouldn't expect that? Because I've heard you mention this exact same example before, and you say, like, yeah. you wouldn't expect that. Why not? I would have expected them to beat the human eventually, right? <laughs> like, it's the AI. Yeah. Basically, if you... So this, this is like a, sort of like one of the core tenets of ARC, that you, you can't necessarily look at past progress to forecast the future. So if you look at pa- past progress and, and you, you look at a game like StarCraft and compare it to Go and say, okay, I think it's like it's a crazy order of magnitude, more complicated. I, I want to say it's in the thousands. I don't have it in front of me, though. Um, so, so then you'd say, okay, like given improvements in Moore's Law, Maybe that'll happen in 10 years, um, but actually it's happening like a year or two later. Hmm. So um, so those, the the time in between sort of like these big leaps and, and advances um, is, is shrinking relative to what to what you would expect um, give, given Moore's Law improvement rates. Um, so, so we look at things like that and say, okay, deep learning could just surprise on the upside and, and we can't predict it, um, but it, it seems more and more likely that it's at least, it, it is a solvable problem. Um, and then uh, when, we, when we try to forecast things like this, I mean, this is such a large industry that even if we're wrong by, say, 20, 50 percent, I mean, okay, two trillion, it becomes one trillion. That's still a really large number. It's a really big market opportunity. Mm-hmm. And actually, we've we've sensitivity tested our model to say what happens if autonomous comes late. It comes, you know, like two to three years later than we expect, and it takes twice as long to adopt. And and that's exactly what happens. It, it, that that two trillion becomes one trillion. But um, again, we still think it's big enough that it's worth investing in today. Mm-hmm. And so does. You know, when I think about Tesla's an investment, there's this whole BEV opportunity selling luxury 
vehicles and, and being that sort of OEM. And then I view in the long term, you know, the autonomy thesis. So I wonder, you know, if this autonomy thing takes a really long time to play out, do you think there's value in Tesla as a BEV company? And the reason I ask is because a lot of skeptics have said this autonomy day and this focus on the autonomous vehicle is to distract the narrative from being profitable selling BEVs, which I've kind of torn up about because, you know, on one hand, I think there has been a little bit of walking back of saying we are going to be consistently profitable. We're going to deliver this many cars and they are sort of changing the narrative. So I'm kind of wondering how you balance, you know, what's going on there with Tesla. Absolutely. So when we when we look at Tesla, actually, um, we so we when we uh, we wrote an open letter to Elon and the board back when Tesla was considering going private, and we actually published a piece of our valuation model along with that. Um, and and what we think is, uh, even if let's say you know I'm insane and they're never going to create a, an autonomous car, um, just based on electric vehicles alone, uh, we think that the stock could double over the next five years because um, Tesla's the leader in EVs. Um, uh, we see battery costs declining at such a rate that we think by 2022, based on my colleague Sam work, Sam's work, um, that an EV will be cheaper than an ICE, and that switch in sticker price is what's going to drive um, demand for EVs, and we, we think that's going to surprise to the upside. Um, and again, you know, Tesla as a market leader can can benefit from that. Awesome. Okay, and now let's say autonomy is going to happen soon, and and that exciting uh, part. So. You know, at a high level, you know, Tesla is a very unique strategy and they're not using LiDAR. It's a vision based system, which I guess more people are warming up to, but was very controversial. So at a high level, you know, Tesla's taking a unique approach. Why do you ARC think they will win or has a good chance to be one of those leaders in the monopoly sort of scenario that that plays out with autonomy? Yeah, you know, the the LiDAR um the LiDAR choice is controversial. Um, so first, first I'll, I'll talk quickly about that. So interestingly enough, um, Nissan is also not using LiDAR. They just came out with that. You probably saw. Yeah. Um, uh, but so we're and and the the reasoning that um, Elon gives there is basically that LiDAR is a crutch. Um, it's a really expensive component that gets you this uh, degree of accuracy uh, that that basically might might not be necessary or sort or sort of he thinks that you can use um, a degraded perception system and you can make up for that um, in your your path planning when when your perception system is worse off basically the path planning problem gets much more difficult to solve but Tesla thinks that they can solve for that um, and uh, and the reason that we think um, in general that they're they could be so much further ahead than the competition is really their data advantage. So, um, you know, they're the only company, only auto company today that's using customer cars to collect data. Everyone else that's testing autonomous vehicles is using fleets of fleets of test cars. So that, uh, you know, number in the hundreds at most. Tesla has thousands of customer cars on the road. Um, and machine learning improves, but with the more data that you feed it. Um, so when you talk about really that difficult problem of solving for the last 5% of full autonomy, well, if I have a much larger data set, it's of real world miles, it seems um, more probable that I'm, I'm, I could, I could, my improvement rate is faster than my competitors. Mm -hmm. And one of the favorite analogies that Elon gives is he's, he's buddies with the Google people that every time you type a search query in, you're training Google's AI. So every time you, you know, turn the wheel or drive on autopilot, you're training Tesla's AI. Is yeah. that actually true? Because when he said that, that analogy made it stick so hard to me. Like, wow, this is, you know, I'm, I'm in San Francisco for Tesla's autonomy day and I see the cruise engineers driving around. They're probably each paid over a hundred grand a year on this car with all these fancy sensors. Like, there's this huge disconnect between every other company paying for per mile and Tesla getting paid per mile. And so to me, this is the biggest thing that is leading to that huge gap in the data advantage and makes it seem clear that they're so far ahead. But I don't get why no one else is really valuing this or, you know, maybe that's not true. Or 
Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, that's what's so that's what's so smart about this strategy is that the customers are basically doing their R and D work for them. Um, and uh, we've, you know, um, so one of the, one of the questions that we had uh, when we did our podcast with with Elon was like, what are what's the most important um, event to Tesla? And and they've he he said this in the podcast, and they they also talked about this on Autonomy Day that uh, when a driver in, engages autopilot and then actually takes back over. You can think of that as like a disengagement, like similar to how the Google cars, the engineer takes over from the autonomous system. Um, so then they can use that information to say, okay, like what went wrong here and, and sort of that why did autopilot and some scenarios um, that are, are like the same characteristics, have the same characteristics as this, um, did it did it work better and then sort of train the whole system based off of off those, those learnings. And, and they said that they watch every crash as well. That's automatically uploaded. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so that's what gives them the advantage. I think, I think why other companies haven't done this is, uh, I mean, if you're a traditional auto company, the mindset is, I'm not going to put this piece of hardware in my car unless I get a return on investment in the next year. That's what the traditional mindset was. Wow. I think that's changing now because Tesla's forcing them to change. Yeah. But um, so when you think of autonomy, that could be five years out or, you know, um, we, we, we think it'll happen sooner than five years, but when you're making that product decision, it could be five, year, five ten years out. Um, you're, you're not willing to do that as a traditional player, especially when you operate on such thin margins. Um, so, so that's why Tesla, it's like they, they bit the bullet and they made the investment today, and um, everyone else is now years behind because, because of this data set. So it's almost like a time arbitrage of management's hori- investment horizon that is really Tesla's key advantage here? It's that's that's one of them. And, and, and also, I mean, a traditional auto company has never owned Tesla's very vertically integrated. Yeah. Um, a traditional autos don't own um, they don't own all of the software. Uh, they don't own the supply chain like Tesla does. They have many different component suppliers. And so for them to even think of their autonomous strategy, like they have to string all these suppliers together and get them to agree. And um, and, and Tesla's doing this sort of go it alone strategy. And, and we also think that helps them move faster. So one thing that's really unique about what Tesla's doing is the vertical autonomy stack. And this is something I didn't really appreciate until the Autonomy Investor Day, which is in the past three years, they've built this team from the ground up. They have the chip, they have the algorithms, they have the fleet. And so this combination, the vertical autonomy stack is is really unique approach when you have, you know, so, but I don't, I'm not actually super well educated on what, you know, how vertically integrated the autonomy stack of other auto OEMs are. So I'm curious, are, are you seeing anyone else try and replicate this approach, or who is the closest in trying to replicate what Tesla is doing? Well, I think the best example of how difficult it would be. So Tesla acquired a team from AMD, and that's and that's why they can create their own autonomous chip. No other auto company even has the talent to create that hardware. Um, so again, it, it's like that's another example of why Tesla's just so much further ahead, just on the time scale. Um, so uh, you know, if I. I think in terms of the traditional players, I mean, uh, GM, uh, Cruise Automation has put out some pretty impressive videos of of what they they are able to do, and they have a really aggressive launch timeline. Um, Whether or not they execute on that timeline is one thing, but it seems like relative to the traditional players, like top management is sort of bought into this idea and is supporting them. 
Um, I mean, that said, this year in the past, like, two or three earnings calls, um, Mary Barra, the CEO of GM, um, has chosen not to reiterate that they would launch in 2019. So I think they're struggling. I think Mm -hmm. Waymo is struggling. A lot of companies are struggling. It's just a hard problem to solve. Um, But, yeah. And then I think, you know, the traditional, the, the European players... Um, part part of it's because of regulation, but sort of this old auto mindset that we as we've been talking about, um, they just seem a little bit further behind. Uh, and and the, the metric by which I'm I'm thinking of when I say that is that they're they're not doing a ton of testing on public roads that we can see, and you just have to do that in order to train the system. Mm-hmm. And one of the crazy timelines actually started in, in your podcast with Elon, I guess, and then they reiterated Autonomy Day was fully self driving, feature complete by 2019, and regulatory approval Tesla Network launch 2020, which seems cr- insanely aggressive. So I, I know we both are probably adding a year or two to discount for Elon time with that. But um, I don't know if you have any comments on, you know, that seems really, really like it's coming incredibly fast. And, you know, have you seen evidence of the pace of innovation? You know, I'm sure you did the demo ride. Are you seeing personally autopilot get better? Yeah, that's that's a great question. Um, so I actually at Autonomy Day asked Stuart Bowers about how to think about this because because we we sort of wanted to know like how can they be so certain that it's yeah, going to happen right? at the end of this year? Exactly. And, I mean, I think as you know, like nothing is exactly certain <laughs> for timelines, um, especially with Tesla. Um, but that's one. I mean, that's kind of like the key to their success in a way. Like they they have such aggressive timelines, they push everyone towards it, and then maybe they're two months late, but they do it before everyone else. Um, but, uh, so, so the, the question that I asked is, um, all right, as you look at, uh, feature sets, uh, or or sort of additional features that you're adding to autopilot with, um, is there, is the length of time, um, you know, when you have something sort of in beta mode and, and then you, you release it, um, has, 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 have past features given you a sense of what the future will look like as you add on these things like, okay, now I want to add stoplight, um, uh, and I, I want the car to, to go through stoplights on its own. I want it to recognize stop signs, what, whatever you're, you're looking at. Um, and the answer was basically um, each feature that you add uh, is more complicated than the last. Um, so that's a harder AI problem to solve. But uh, you're building on the full software stack. So then, then you get to sort of leverage everything that you've already done. So he said that basically the net of that is that there is sort of a predictable time period between those features. So I think that that's the math that they're doing is they, they look at w- each of the pieces that they need to add to the, to final p- the final puzzle and then the, whatever time frame they're, they're estimating for in between um, those releases. And let's talk about those features because in the demo, what was really unique is that we went on the stop signs or it read stop signs. It even did a left turn after a stop sign by itself, which is crazy and it's reading stoplights. And so it seems to me like that'll be the next um, set of features. And I'm wondering, you know, once they rolled, I even heard a rumor that they were gonna send that out to employees in a couple weeks. I have no idea if that's true, but that would fit with the timeline. So I'm curious, is there any, I'm just trying to think in my head, like once they solve the city street stop line stoplights, like how much, what would be the next step after that? Cause I'm thinking that's, you know, navigate on autopilot, get you off the highway. Now we're on city streets, that's probably coming. And then what's, is there anything else after that? Or is it just? Yeah. Um... You know, I, it's, it seems like there's almost, it, there's just such a long tail of, of things that can happen that it's almost like there's an infinite possibility of, of, <laughs> of, of, of like other things that they need to solve for. But um, it, it, yeah, it seems like sort of as we're talking about, there's probably like a key handful of things that they know they need, like um, like stoplights. And then um, actually one thing that I noticed on, on my test drive was 
um, there were some cones on the side of the road uh, going around a truck that wasn't. Yeah, not, I drove past that too. Yeah. yeah, and the car wobbled a little bit. Um, it didn't wobble. Seem, <laughs> yeah, and it you know it didn't seem unsafe. It didn't seem like uh, the engineer was freaking out or ready going to take the wheel. But um, it, yeah, that's something that the system sort of has to smooth out. Um, so they probably will even at commercial release of this. We think there's going to be things like that. I mean, autopilot when you first get a new feature, it's not perfect. It sort of it makes mistakes, and and that's why you need that time period for when the driver still has to take control of the wheel before um, you can sort of relinquish all responsibility to the car. Um, and then even after that, I, I do think there's some possibility well, where they might need some like remote support from humans still. And they, they said that for the first time at Autonomy Day, that sort of that, that's a possibility. I mean, they haven't talked about like this operator network like other companies like Nissan have, but um, it, it just seems like there's, there is such a long tail of, of things that could happen that it, it's possible they could need that. Yeah, and uh, building on that, the the Tesla person sort of helping with the drive, you actually gave a really good question to Elon after the presentation that I heard, which was about if they would have human drivers or consider having human drivers as part of the Tesla network. And he said, maybe, which I was not expecting at all. So what were you thinking when you asked that? And what, you know, can you play that out a little? Yeah, um, so we were thinking, you know, if you're going to launch a ride hailing network, um, there's probably some kinks to that that you can work out by um, by by launching first with humans behind the wheel. Just basically, you launch like an exact Uber competitor, but a Tesla version. Um, and then, uh, as as we talk about solving um, these last steps to full autonomy, Tesla says that they're going to do a nationwide rollout um, and that they're not going to be geographically constrained or. Um, uh, but you could imagine, um, that's hard for me to buy. I don't, you know, it just seems like going geography by geography is way easier. That's what everyone else is doing. <laughs> it, you're absolutely, it is easier. Um, and that's, you know, it's again, like a complex problem that they're trying to solve. They have way more data on all of those streets than, than other companies do. Like Google, when you have to pick city by city where you're going to test. Um, so, so that's working in their favor, but I mean, it's still a tough problem. So you, you could imagine this, as as they try to integrate full autonomy, like maybe this is what at least companies like Lyft are doing now um, in Las Vegas with Aptiv. When I order a ride, if that ride is able to be handled by the autonomous system, then you get routed an autonomous car. But if not, wow. you get routed a human. They could do something like that. They could not. But either way, they get to work out the kinks of, of just like, uh, you know, networking a, a ride hailing uh, company on its own. Mm-hmm. And there's you know, people are so, so excited about this. I want to unpack ARC has like a $4,000 price target on Tesla in five years. Basically, a lot of that on the back of this, you know, autonomous taxi network, which which is hybrid of Uber and Airbnb, and they take a 25 to 30% cut of every single ride. And, you know, this is really, really fascinating. And, and this concept of the appreciating asset of every Tesla car, where it's like the value of a vehicle, they sell it for 40,000, or that's what they used to do. But now they can generate hundreds of thousands of cash flow from that same piece of technology because of the software autonomy layer. So I'm curious if you could just walk through a little bit about, you know, how you see this transition and why from like a financial business model, this is going to create so much value, the, the uh, Tesla network for Tesla. Yeah. Um, so really the the meat of where we get that 4,000 on top of, um, you know, on top of sort of our EV assumptions is uh, those those numbers that I, I ran through uh, the same way we get our, our market cap for um, fully autonomous taxi networks globally. Mm-hmm. Um, we're assuming that it's a software like margins. Uh, and um, so that's a like 50% of net revenues go to 
go to earnings and then and then roughly 70% of that to cash flow. Um, Uber and Lyft have already proved out the ride hailing business model for us. Um, so we know that that's sort of a viable business. And the way that they work is they take uh, 20, Uber takes a little over 20, Lyft, I want to say it's north of 25% cut of the gross revenues that they get off of the system. And then that's what they keep. So what the customers charge, they keep 20% of. Um, Tesla's said that they could do a 30% cut. We think that's um, the difference in that increase is basically you're adding more value. You're adding full autonomy. It's a better, safer ride for the customer. Um, so, so that's basically what we think. You take 30% gross revenues, half of that goes to earnings, uh, 70%, 70% to cash flow. I mean, that, you can sort of see that in the, in the model that we've, we've published online. Um, so, so, yeah, we think uh, this is really just going to supercharge the ride-hailing trend. Um, it's going to expand the market because it's going to um, be so much cheaper and bring all these people in that um, might not be t- participating in ride-hailing today, um, both in like a ge- geographical sense and in a customer base sense. Yeah, and getting out of spreadsheet world, I guess, what I'm curious is really like, what is, you know, in five years, does this mean I can tap and the Uber that I just got here will actually be a Tesla for half the price? You know, because I think this is the hard, the, peop- the part that people have a hard time wrapping their head around is like how it impacts the consumer. Yeah. And, and you know, I think it's fascinating because I'm, you know, I live in New York City, I work in tech, but I don't drive in a Tesla. So none of my miles driven in transport are in a Tesla, but I'm in the US in the tech scene and I'm not even being driven around a Tesla. So I think that's what really excites me is people like me who don't have cars, our transport miles are going to start shifting more and more into Teslas. And if you think about it like that, you know, you probably drive around, unless you own a Tesla, you're not driving around in a Tesla, but we all will soon. And I think that's, you know, that has to happen for you to see that price target, I'm guessing, sort of. Um, uh, well, basically, that has to be pretty ubiquitous, I guess, is the point is like whether I'm in Uber or wh- whether I want to be in San Francisco or New York, like it's going to be Tesla's going to be working in all these cities and autonomous. So that's kind of what has to happen for it to generate real value. Yeah. Well, well um, you know, uh, not to get too into the weeds, but we're, we're basically assuming that a certain percentage of the Teslas that are autonomous capable um, that are going to be on the road in the next five years will be on the network, um, scaling up to 70 percent by like the. 2023 and this is the cars that nobody owns that tesla operates you're saying yeah well or it it could be it could be a mix of customer cars and cars that are either owned by tesla or on some third party's balance sheet that are on the tech but whatever's on the tesla network whatever's like making making revenue on those services Mm -hmm. um so so that's sort of like the bottom-up look at it that it's it's basically just going off of the volume forecast that we expect of, of of cars for them to produce okay got it um, and so why does no one get this? You know, why, you know, we're talking about how far ahead Tesla is. They had the whole autonomy day. You know, I'm super impressed, but it seems like, and I have a quote from Kathy Wood here from, I think the Elon podcast that she said, innovation is being completely mispriced in the public markets. And that's part of the reason of ARC. And I feel like this is an exact example of that. Yeah. And so, you know, why does no one get it? Anthony Lewandowski, the guy who is involved with Uber, co-founded Waymo, says that Elon's right. We don't need LiDAR. You know, Lex Friedman is getting, the MIT guy is getting convinced more and more. His concern is everyone's too far ahead or Tesla's so far ahead on software. No one is even going to be able to catch up. So why do we have thought leaders v- verifying Tesla's approach? You know, we're seeing them release features like Navigate on Autopilot. No one cares. Mm-hmm. Um, do you have any insight on that? Is Yeah, I think I think it's there's like a couple of facets to that. I mean, one of them is sort of what we, we talked about, that the traditional traditional Wall Street analysts are siloed by industry. Um, so you're either a tech analyst or you're an auto analyst or, or maybe you're a semis analyst. But um, uh, they tend to have, you know, the stocks that they cover and... Uh, 
um, Kathy, our, our CEO, would certainly say that that's like not as a collaborative a world as as what we try to put together at Arc. Um, and and uh, so I, I think that's that's part of the problem. I mean, even at Autonomy Day, I mean, they gave like a fairly complicated presentation on their on their hardware, right? It was insane. Yeah. So the and you could tell that the analyst, the, the audience, almost didn't know what to ask. Um, so I, I think that that's part of it. I, I, you know, I think I think also it's just like Tesla's doing things that we've never seen before in the auto industry, and it's really hard to predict innovation. As going back to our comments before, like you could be like 20, 50 percent off um, in your estimate. So often people don't like to look that far out. They they just want to predict what's going to happen in the next quarter. Yeah, um, they don't want to be wrong. There's a lot more at stake for them to be wrong with a bold call than be just safe. And follow the street, I guess. Exactly, um, and it's and it's and it's harder to predict uh, further out. But like that's one of the reasons that we publish our research online, because because we're willing to say like, all right, come to us if if we're wrong about something, we want to know, and and that's why we're so public about it. Um, so, uh, yeah, there are many reasons sort of why this is being overlooked. But the nice thing about Autonomy Day is that Tesla themselves is now bringing more attention to it. And it, it, for the first time this year, we're seeing uh, sales anal- analysts assign uh, values to, to companies like Waymo. So it seems like people are catching yeah, up. Yeah, definitely. And I have to give you and Arc cred specifically because you have been pounding the table on this autonomy thesis since way before Tesla even held Autonomy Day. And so I think you guys have been definitely ahead of the curve on that. Um, but and so, you know, I'm on board with the excitement. And I guess one thing that sort of holds me back or freaks me out about this is the media perception. And Elon sort of went on a rant on this about on the bonehead conference call thing when I asked him about it, which is the media will just make this huge fuss out of every single Tesla cr- crash, especially if it's on autopilot. Yeah. And so how do we get around this? Because to me, this is what could make, you know, the an irrational I don't know. I don't have much faith that the American public is going to make rational, scientific-based decisions based on you know a bad media narrative. So I'm really worried that even if the data is there, even if they are safer, like we could run into serious problems with that. So how do you think about getting around that? Yeah. Um, well, if we look at what's happened with past innovations, like you know, elevators used to have human operators. Um, and then when they took humans away, they added human voices to elevators to sort of make people feel comfortable. Hmm. So, so one, it's like we've seen transformations like this happen that seem scary at first, and then we sort of got used to them. Um, we think the primary driver is really going to be the cost um, that consumers, yeah, they're not, they're not doing like the the price per mile math that we're doing right now, which would actually show that a Tesla on a total cost of ownership basis um, based on Sam's work is is still like a really great investment. Um, they're not doing that math. They're just thinking about like sticker price. Uh, so they're just going to look at the, the price of the ride itself. And, and that's going to be the primary motivator. Um, but uh, I, I think from a that that's from the consumer side, uh, from the regulator side, um, we've already seen signs that you know they just want less accidents to happen. So companies like NHTSA are sort of doing independent studies and, and taking looks at this a look, look a look at this industry uh, matters. And, and we think you know uh, companies like Tesla will be able to, in a good position to prove that out um, because they have so many miles accrued and they can basically statistically say this is this is how safe this feature is and this is how often um, it, it, it this car uh, should should sort of make an error relative to a human. Um, so uh, it'll certainly be an adjustment period, but you could certainly imagine like people our age sort of being the first to hop on um, De- as we did with like the ride hailing industry. One thing that Elon, a tidbit that he said, I believe at the autonomy day or maybe in, in your podcast was that um, they, they're trying to prove how much safer it is, right? So they had the three quarters ago, they have the safety page they added to the website, which we've actually been visualizing on hypercharts and it's showing like, 
I don't know, about two to three times safer. So I'm curious if like, A, are they gonna start releasing more in-depth data like that? And then there was this tidbit that Elon said they, the new chip would make them about a thousand percent safer than a human driver, which is, 10 per, which is 10 times safer. And when I heard that, I was like, I don't know, is that gonna be enough to convince regulators? Because to me, I was thinking like it has to be a hundred or 200 times. So I'm curious where this threshold lies of where the data is convincing enough to regulators. Yeah, um, you know, we, we, we don't know for sure, but the way that we've thought about this question is um, if I'm a regulator, what what metric am I going to use? We, we basically think, again, that there's like a certain number of miles that you're going to need to say, um, I can statistically prove that my failure, my crash rate or whatever metric they choose, if it's if it's uh, deaths, if it's uh, yeah, crashes or sort of what have you, um, how many miles do I need to prove that I'm statistically safer than a human? And we, we basically think that, that the answer to that could be somewhere like in the 1 to 10 billion miles range. Um, and that's, that's what Tesla says. They say billions. Um, so, all right, so then if you go with that, if autopilot is um, feature complete by the end of 2019, how long is it going to take them to get there? And, and we think that it's likely in like two to three years. Um, and it really depends on how often people use autopilot because those are the miles that you're going to need to prove. Um, uh, you're, those are the only miles that you can use uh, basically to, to show this. Um, so, uh, but we think there's a good chance that that usage could actually ramp up as, as features sort of get more convenient and people use it more. Um, so we think like 2021 is when it could be ready. Um, it's hard to predict regulation and, and that's sort of why we sensitivity test all of these models. Uh, we, we don't make exact predictions about when things will happen, but um, the good news is that like the US seems to be on board and they've been fairly progressive compared to other countries in terms of allowing companies to test on public roads. So. And so when do you think, you know, as this is progressing, when will the sort of aha moment be where the market gets how far Tesla ahead is and starts assigning value to this piece of the business? Because, I mean, as far as I can see, they're assigning zero value to it right now. So do you have any catalysts in mind or do you not even think about that? Since we're long term, we, we tend to try to not um, we don't necessarily pick specific events um, or we're not necessarily event driven. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, I think that um, well, one, I think just the sell side fo- focusing on this more and sort of putting out more reports on, on autonomy is, is going to make a difference in investors' minds and they'll, they'll sort mm-hmm. of hear about it more. Um, and, and, and as I said, that's already happening. I, I think one will like, you know, the, the masses catch on. I mean, maybe it's maybe it's like autopilot will get so good that it's like the next feature that they release. Maybe it's bef- it's one feature complete happens. Maybe it's before that that, you know, everyone says, wow, I can't believe this my car cool. can do this now. Yeah. yeah. So. Hmm. And you had a really good question at the Autonomy Day about fully self-driving chip number two, which was a tidbit that Elon talked about. And I actually have a weird theory, which is a lot of Tesla bulls are going to hate me, that I actually think full autonomy will, will be achieved with that chip, potentially not this chip. Because it will, like, it'll take two years and they'll have way more data and it'll be way better. But I think regardless of that, it gets me super excited about, you know, the in-house chip team they built. And this isn't the first piece of the progress we've seen. And it's really about now that it's up and running, the pace of innovation. They're coming out with new chips every two years, new designs. And so, you know, what, I'm, I'm just curious, you asked about that specifically, so you must be interested about it. And what does that tell you about the pace of innovation of Tesla's autopilot team relative to the industry? Yeah, we actually, um, James Wang, uh, another analyst at ARC who focuses on semis, put out a blog about th- this exact thing that, um, 
basically be, because Tesla's now doing this in-house and they're able to iterate every two years, um, it, it becomes much hard. It's like another metric on which it's it's hard to catch up to them because uh, traditional automakers are going to wait for a company like NVIDIA for an off-the-shelf solution, um, which like in its very nature, when I'm creating something that's off-the-shelf, I have to think of the inputs of all automakers, not just yeah. Tesla. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you develop that, it, you know, it, it takes time and, and, and sort of... Um, uh, the performance that Tesla says they can achieve is is already better than what um, well than what Nvidia has with their off the shelf solution. And by the time that Nvidia gets to their next chip, Tesla's just going to have their you know it's it, we think it's going to like that rabbit race is going to yeah. keep on going. And, and the off the shelf thing is fascinating because one thing I was looking into a lot of tidbits about power consumption. So they had all these constraints because they know what they were building for. They had one customer, but the Pegasus chip, which I was looking into, like they were basically saying it would take so much power to actually do the fully self-driving that then you're eating into the range of the car. And so it gets so, so complicated when you start working backwards without the vertical autonomy stack. And so that's kind of one of the things that's gotten me so excited. Yeah, and um, that's a great point because in some of the teardowns uh, that have been done on Tesla cars, like one of the big surprises is like how how efficient it is, um, and and that's really because of the vertical integration. Because I'm not integrating all these components from like 20 different suppliers. You know, I I, I know my component set, and and I'm able to centralize uh, where the computation happens much more so than my competitor. Mm-hmm. So. And so I guess we're kind of getting out of time. So to wrap it up, I'm curious, like what you know, metrics or data points are you personally looking at to track the progress of Tesla's autonomous software? Well, I mean, certainly a big one will be, do they reach the feature complete uh, deadline that they've set for themselves? And can you define what feature complete is? Uh, yeah. So basically we think this is, uh, this is, I've, I've given, um, I've given autopilot sort of all of the tools that it needs to be fully autonomous. But um, because as as we've talked about when I when even today, the way that auto um, pilot features are released, the car still will do things like the wobble that we saw on our test yeah. drive um, that, uh, you know, until like Tesla's comfortable and regulators are comfortable and sort of it's it's been proven out with a system behind the with a human behind the wheel and all of those bugs have been fixed um, that that's when you can sort of take your hands off the wheel. Mm-hmm. Uh, and which piece of Tesla's technology do you think is hardest to replicate? I'm curious. Is it the software? Is it the chip? Or is it the fleet? Yeah, it's it's kind of it's kind of a lot of things. Or um, is that just the secret sauce that it's all of them? <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, I mean that's yeah that's kind of what makes Tesla so amazing. And even on the the battery side, they're ahead of any competitor. So so there's also that. I mean, they have more scale than anyone else, and we think EVs are going to be a better platform for autonomy. They're going to be certainly in an operating cost basis, they're better and they're cheaper maintenance. Um, but uh, yeah, the the chip is I is um, you know James has done the work on. I just talked about. We think they're years ahead, and then uh, really the. The data collection, I think, is, is the next biggest piece. Just just the fact that they're even able to do this and no other company is, is able to get that input in their system. I mean, you could do a lot in simulation, but I think it's hard. Um, I think every, every company wants to make this argument that um, you can do so much in simulation, you don't necessarily need to test in the real world. It, it, it just seems like a hard bridge for me to gap um, that a real world cases aren't a little bit more valuable. Mm-hmm. And I won't hold you to this, but just a guess if when the Tesla network will actually launch and I can request a ride and Tesla will generate revenue. Do you have a guess? Yeah. You can be wrong. but Yeah. Uh, we're assuming it's 2021. Um, okay. But 
even I think, here's what I think, even if it's 2022 and it's a year later, or even if it's two years later, I think that Tesla could still be the first company to do it. Um, and, yeah. and that actually matters because once you launch, um, the utilization rate on those vehicles is, is high because they're running as taxis. And then I'm just getting more data. And then I'm running away from the competition even further at a faster pace because my system is improving um, on all those little corner edge cases. Uh, so we, th- we think this is like a first mover advantage market uh, with with natural geographic monopolies. Right. And I just want to build on that because I've been kind of been playing devil's advocate. But this is in the back of my mind where I'm like, OK, this is the game changer. If Tesla is actually as far ahead as we think and we're right and this, they are the first mover. Imagine being the only OEM that's allowed to be fully self-driving. Like you, and we're talking about the cost of this car is, let's say it's 25 cents versus 250 per mile for Uber Lyft, one-tenth the cost. So they can charge half the price and make 80% margins or, you know, 50% margins or whatever. Like, I, I just don't think people under, and then they're getting better faster because they're the first to market. Like this is right. a huge monopoly. Um, so I just don't think people understand that the first mover with this technology will have potentially a couple years advantage of like a, a basically white space opportunity. Exactly. And it, and it's going to be hard to, to catch up to them if you're just running test fleets. I mean, I think like Tesla will have a real competitor when an automaker actually installs hardware in the, the their customer cars to collect something. And that still hasn't happened. I mean, wow. That's, that's crazy. Yeah. So, th- yeah. And who, who would you say is the closest either OEM or startup to developing technology like this? Is there anyone on your radar that you know, is it comma.ai, Pronto? I've heard of some of these startups. You mentioned Cruise is sort of impressive. Yeah. Um, yeah, we, we look at a lot of startups that are interesting. Um, it's it, Again, we think Tesla really has a massive lead. Well, one other um, interesting market that I'll point out is, uh, is China. Um, right now, uh, Baidu, although their technology seems to be nowhere near Tesla, they're designated as the National Autonomous Driving Platform. Mm. Um, so... Uh, I think the, the government, especially in China, I mean, the government just like if they if they if they if they make something if they say something so they sort of make it so. Um, so I think that could be a really interesting dynamic. Um, so so maybe you know they're they're in a good position there again, even even if they're sort of not technologically um, as advanced. Uh, in the U.S., I mean, we were looking at Waymo for a long time, and like we'd always thought, okay, well, they, they have the best technology. Maybe they don't have the scale, um, but they still could be first to launch, but they just keep on like tripping over themselves. And like, they say they're going to launch commercially. And then it's like, not really commercial. Right? It's not available to everyone. So. And what do you think about that Lyft partnership they just mentioned? Cause that's a really interesting dynamic of, to me, the furthest ahead or competition with the Tesla network is Waymo and Lyft or kind of, you know, Google, I think, and Waymo are big investors in Lyft. So I've always thought yeah. a, a Lyft-Waymo tie-up, Moonshot Monday, I guess, for them to merge somehow is a lot of potential. So I'm curious, do you think, but I guess my question is, I think it's a lot of fluff and hype, that 10-car trial. is. Are you reading it the same way? Uh, the, uh, Waymo. Or the Waymo Lyft 10 cars trial in yeah. Q3 that they just announced? Yeah, I mean, it's 10 cars. I, like, it just, <laughs> so, I, yeah, I, I think, again, like, the scale's just not there. And, I mean, Waymo's already doing stuff with Walmart. Like, they already have some sort of, like, things that seem to be commercially almost on the edge, but they just haven't been able to pull it off, off yet. I, I think they started at a time when um, the most uh, the, the the most advanced um deep learning methods weren't even available. So I wow, think... Wow, so that's almost an Achilles heel to them, is they didn't start from scratch with this better next-generation neural net? You, we think so, yeah. Um, and 
like Aptiv, you know, Aptiv, uh, the Delphi spinoff, they've bought a couple companies over the past few years. And uh, I was just listening to um, this this call that they put on with Evercore, and they're they're basically saying that companies that yeah they bought like two three years ago they just finished integrating the technology. I mean, so like these things take time. Um, I I don't think that it's just easy to be like, hey, we're going to switch to this new method now, and we're, now we're at 100% autonomy. So I I think. Uh, Right. And I heard this analogy that they've actually out all automakers have over the past decades have outsourced every core competency other than building the like ice fossil fuel burning engine. Everything else is being outsourced. So then when you actually try and rethink about how would we design the entirely new skateboard platform with the electronics and the software, they've outsourced all of the expertise that would actually be needed. And the only core expertise they have is the thing that's most irrelevant. You know, and so yeah. when you think about if you actually and that's why, like, I did an episode on Dyson recently, like they make electric motors. And so I'm like, these guys have more expertise than Volkswagen does to make an electric car in some ways. Yeah. And 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 you see that in their approaches to creating EVs. They're not starting from the ground up like Tesla did. They're basically mm-hmm. taking like, oh, this is my gas powered car. And now I'm like switching some stuff out. Yep. And I, but I want it to be the same manufacturing platform. And that's. Uh, I mean, it's just not it's it's it seems proven that that's not the most effective way to do it because Tesla just has so much better performance and efficiency in their cars. Volkswagen's the only company that's re- that has decided, OK, we're going to go from the ground up and, and maybe the diesel scandal sort of pushed them there. Mm-hmm. So maybe they might be an, at an advantage on the on the EV platform side, uh, but everyone else sort of seems to be struggling still. And, and is that the new EV they just put out with that got 10,000 pre-orders? Is that built on that new platform? That id? Or it has a really bad name, I think. It's like the uh, ID, a three-point ID or ID.3 or something. You know, that would be a good question for Sam. I'm, I'm actually, I'm not, I'm not as okay. familiar with uh, sort of what stage they are at integrating that ground-up process. And I have one more crazy moonshot, which isn't really related to autonomy. But if you had to think of like, okay, so we have the pickup truck coming, the semi, the roadster, the solar roof, the power pack. Like, what is the product that Tesla hasn't announced yet that will come next, if you had to guess? Like, because I think it could be a car- an autonomous cargo drone, even though Elon hates flying things. If you have the light, the lightest, cheapest battery tech, to me, is it like an interesting, weird one? Or, yeah. I don't know. I've been trying to think about this because I think it's the most exciting thing to like, what is in Elon's brain that he hasn't said yet that will be next? Yeah. Yeah, man, I have a few, I have a few thoughts on that. So one, we're doing some work on the boring company. Um, so I think like a possible like it just seems so natural that those two companies could work together if 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 they do get approval and sort of create these tunnels. Um, and, it, and it could be a, especially because autonomous is going to increase traffic so dramatically. This could be a really cost effective way to circumvent that. Um, I think uh, I guess that's not a product on its own then. So so when we look at product, we've um, Sam's done some work on uh, flying cars. And, and actually, uh, improvements in battery technology uh, make us think that sort of the the range capability that you needed to have, like that that excess reserve um, that you needed in order uh, to make uh, these like very short trips, is is now possible, um, or is going to be possible in the next five years with with batteries. Uh, as you've said, Musk has said that these are really loud. He's right; they are really loud, <laughs> and that's one of the reasons that um, you know we think there'll be pushback on that technology, um, but. Overall, we think um, autonomy and electric platforms are going to allow for form factor proliferation that's nothing like what we've seen before. And um, so you you could imagine that we don't even know sort of what the next thing will look like. Um, Maybe it'll be like a little robot that delivers us something and it's like a lot smaller than a car. Maybe it'll be like a, you know, a car that really just hangs out in the suburbs and it's like sort of more like the 
neighborhood vehicle, like the little pod cars that Google developed. Um, oh, yeah, Firefly or whatever? Yeah. So I think it, it could be something totally new that we don't even realize there's a use case for yet. Wow. Yeah, really, I'm really excited to see whatever they come up come up with next. Um, anyway, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I learned so much, and this was super informative. So thank you. And if you have any last words for the hyperchangers or shout outs or ideas, um, yeah, you can go for it. Oh well, th- thanks for having me. This is this is really fun, and um, yeah, you know, I, I guess what I'd say is like I'd love to continue the conversation. Um, always always open to talk about our research and to chat on Twitter. Uh, my hash my uh, my my name is Tasha Ark, uh, so please uh, tweet at me, um, ask Ark questions uh, using the has- hashtag Ask Ark, and uh, look forward to talking. Awesome. All right, sounds good. Peace. Bye.